you know, like I live in Utah, which is the lamest place in the whole <laughs> world to live. There is not a lamer place like anywhere. It's here. This is it. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in the lamest place. And not only am I in Utah, but I'm not even in Salt Lake City. I'm in Lehigh. You know, I live in like the suburbs of Utah. Um, there's, there's just, there's nowhere less sexy. Welcome to the Thriving Musician Podcast, where you go behind the scenes with musician, speaker, and consultant Spencer List to hear stories of how professional musicians navigated the inevitable financial challenges that arise on the path to creative freedom and get insight from industry professionals on how to break through to the next level of your finances, career, and art. Now, here's your host, Spencer List. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Thriving Musician Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Emily Merrill, and she and I went to the University of North Texas together. She is a well-rounded and confident vocalist, composer, arranger, and educator with extensive skills and knowledge in and of jazz theory, history, improvisation, research, pedagogy, and vocal physiology. She currently resides near Salt Lake City, Utah, and is the owner, manager, and instructor at Emily Merrill Vocal Studio. Additionally, she directs the BYU vocal jazz ensemble Syncopation, and she performs locally as a solo vocalist and pianist. She's the lead vocalist and producer for the International Musicians League affiliate Diamond Empire Band, and they play in Utah, Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana. And currently, she's working on her sophomore album of all original music to be released in 2019. Additionally, she is thrilled to be serving as state conference manager for the Utah chapter of the American Choral Directors Association. And she is just an all-around amazing musician and person, and I'm really thrilled to speak with her today and get her insight for all of you to enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Emily. Hi. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I want to talk about a lot of things with you because I think you have a lot of great experience and knowledge and mindset to share with the listeners. Um, But first, can you just give, for people who don't know you, just a little bit more background musically, personally, um, what's led you to this point? Oh, that is a question. That's a big question, but um, I think like just the basics. Uh, I grew up in Arizona. Um, no one in my family is an artist. Everyone in my family is uh, makes money, though. Um, so that's so that's the the family expectation. Everyone in my family is like, you know, higher education all around. Hmm. Um, doctors, lawyers. That's what I come from. Um, and so I decided to be a musician, um, much to the dismay of the family. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, so I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to try to do it right. So um, I went to the University of North Texas, um, hoping that I would learn all the things I needed to know there. Um, and then I got married while I was in my master's degree. Um, and so something that I maybe like wouldn't have done if I had been single when I graduated is moved directly to Utah, a Mm. place where there's not a lot of music, 
<laughs> a place where I never lived, a place where I didn't know anybody. Um, and Andrew, my husband, was uh, starting a PhD. So I had to kind of figure out really quickly how to make, make money, yeah. um, kind of pay for both of our lives. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I did a lot of like little things, but, but mostly the thing I did, I, I think is just reach out to, you know, every person and place that I could find that might potentially uh, have good use for my skill set. Um, and I just took all of the work that I could get um, and then slowly started saying no to things that I didn't want to do. Um, so that's kind of the, that's the big story. And then nowadays I teach voice lessons in this room. Uh, and that's a, that's a, it's a big part of my income. Um, and then I teach at BYU, although I just put in my notice. That I'm oh, wow. BYU. Um, after this, this, I'm doing one more semester. Um, and then I work a lot with this band. It's like a cover band. Um, we do weddings and corporate events and that's, it's pretty great money. Um, and I am working my, my big project now. So Andrew finished his PhD, um, two years ago, three, mm -hmm. <laughs> two, um, I think, I think two. And, uh, and now I'm kind of trying to get back into thinking, you know, more creatively how I can start trying to make more of my income doing things that are, that I would say are art um, and a little bit less like, you know, art related teaching. Mm -hmm. Feel really creative about thing, those things, which is, I think, um, I'm, I think it's one reason that I'm, that I'm doing well. Um, but I, but yeah, so my, kind of my big project for my thirties is to see if I can figure out how to make more money with my original music. That's awesome. So I want to unpack a little bit. So can we go back to your upbringing and being kind of the only musician or maybe the only artist in your family? Can you talk a little bit more about what that was like and, um, I will give a little bit of background on me in that regards. I was in a similar position um, and I didn't necessarily make the choice to be a musician because I was the only one. Um, but my choice to be a musician was more because it was something I was good at and I enjoyed doing, but I didn't have like, um, I didn't have the thing really connecting me. And that's something I'm dealing with over the years, but I'm curious because you, you seem to have, somewhat of a similar situation. So I'm, I'm curious if your decision to me, you, you mentioned it a little bit, but I want to know a little bit more about that. Can you talk about that a little more? Just like the decision to... Be yeah, just with your upbringing and being around, you're kind of thinking, well, you've got doctors and lawyers. Did you feel pressured to, to do something similar? And was your decision to do music really rooted in kind of wanting to do the opposite almost? Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's something that I still, it's hard to like not project things onto your past. Like, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know exactly what was going on in my like 17 year old mind, but, <laughs> um, but I did, I, I did have a sense growing up um, that I like didn't belong that well in my family 
or like kind of in my community in general. Mm. And there's lots of reasons for that. I, I've talked about it a little bit. It's like kind of dark, but there's there's like a lot of like emotional and psychological abuse in my childhood. Mm-hmm. And I and I, it's so hard for me to know like what would have happened, you know, it's just how can you know? But yeah. But a, a couple of things I know are um I tried really hard to be like the perfect child. Um, I always got great grades. I never broke rules. Um, really, like I couldn't have possibly been more of a square. Um, <laughs> and so, and so that in some ways felt at odds to me with like being an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so. There, so there's that on the one side, and then on the other hand, you know, the places where I was doing art and doing music were the best, happiest places in my childhood. Mm. So I knew that and I knew that I was, you know, it's not that I didn't have to like work hard, but I definitely felt less like obstacles about, you know, just reading music, you know, having a pitch, like some of those things just felt a little bit more comfortable to me than like sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a, you know, there was there was nothing there for me clearly. Um, but uh, but yeah, as I got older, you know, I, I really felt tor- I felt torn. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I was taking a ton of AP classes and doing well. And you know, I would talk with my teachers and like my school counselors about going to law school. You know, trying to get into like maybe some Ivy League schools. Um, But I also just, you know, kind of had this feeling like music was giving me something that I just like wasn't getting other places. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I like simultaneously felt like, I think in order to be like a real musician, you need to be like kind of edgy and like sort of cool. (laughs) And I really felt like I was not doing that. Um, so I don't know, I really like when I try to think back about like, where was my mind when I was making that decision? I'm just not sure, but I, but I do know that there was time when I was like finishing up my junior year of high school, you know, kind of getting, I was taking the ACTs. Um, and I, I had some experiences at like, um, choral festivals that I was just like, no, you know, I, I need this though. Like just and I'm not sure what but I just felt like this is something that I just don't think I'm gonna get anywhere else Mm -hmm. and I told my parents hey I'm I think I'm gonna major in music and they were very disappointed really very disappointed right off the bat it was it was like a it was a bad it was not good oh man they were upset and they were not supportive um and so they were like well you know fine, you'll do what you have to do, but at least to go to BYU for one year. Um, hmm. I'm the first person in like three generations to not graduate from BYU. Oh, wow. I know, no pressure. Yeah. Um, so I so I was like, fine, I'll go there. And I had a, I had a full ride scholarship to BYU. So I was like, well, I'll go and I'll work and I'll save money and I'll, I'll do my generals, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And within like, two weeks of being there, I was like, oh no, I cannot stay here. 
Wow. And it, the irony is not lost on me that I am. I'm back again at BYU and again <laughs> feeling like, oh no, I cannot stay here. <laughs> Same thing. Same thing that wow. happened 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, I know. Isn't it weird? Being a human is so weird. Yeah. Um, so I applied to North Texas like the, literally two weeks after I started at BYU. Um, and I went out to audition. I didn't audition at any other schools because I had done a ton of research and I just thought, well, that's the place I think I need to be. And if, if I'm not going to be there for music, then I was, I didn't know what I was going to do. I kind of tried not to think about it too hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, but I think that if I hadn't gotten into North Texas, I would have still left BYU and I would have studied something else. From your family, did you hear kind of the typical things like musicians don't make any money or anything like that? Well, I have a weird situation, which is I grew up Mormon Mm -hmm. and women aren't supposed to really make money. Oh, you know, (laughs) so, um, so it was fraught. It was like, uh, it was kind of like, well, you go and get a degree in something practical like nursing or elementary education. Mm. And then you, you have that degree in case your husband dies. Wow. You know, and I think like you could definitely find people that grew up LDS that would tell you something different. Like I'm sure it, it dramatically has to do with who your family is and, you know, kind of particulars, but, um, but that's the message that I got. Interesting. So it was kind of like, yes, you can't make money doing music, but it was also like, that's not a good career for any girls anyway. Right. So you had more of a Mormon specific aversion to it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's another reason, like, you know, I don't know. I think I also thought like, oh gosh, it's so like, it's, it's, sucks to think about it a little bit but uh you know I think I I think I also like would have really enjoyed like being like a, a high power business lady or something um but I also didn't think that was an option really you know like I knew it was an option based on like my grades mm-hmm. and I kind of didn't know how to picture a future where that was going to be possible I hadn't seen it modeled like right. in my community yeah and so I think I I think maybe the fact that music was sort of like a mystery, maybe was the biggest thing about it that I thought like, I don't know what this looks like, so maybe it can look better than what I see my other options being. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, it seems like you're, you're kind of, you're getting what you thought about, you know, being like a high powered business lady in the music industry. W- would you agree? I mean, that's what I see. I try. I mean, gosh, who knows? Again, <laughs> like our business is so strange. Yeah. But I, I definitely feel like I've I've accomplished a lot of the goals that I had, uh, you know, and then it's just kind of a matter. I know you know this and it's probably true for any any business to some extent, but, you know, you're always just moving that bar up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Yeah. So this is really interesting talking to you about your childhood and money because it's probably different than what maybe a lot of other people have experienced. It's really interesting. So 
you know, I ask these questions to clients and I'm just imagining, like, I want to ask you, but you've kind of already answered them. Like, so, but I'm, I'm curious. So I'm, I'm going to ask. Um, so the first question I ask clients is, what is your relationship with the idea of money? And so that would mean like, do you love it? Do you hate it? Does it stress you out? Your level of knowledge about it? Does it keep you up at night? Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. No, I, I totally have thoughts about this. Uh, so, you know, as much as like, as much as there's this thing, like you're never going to be making money, uh, like you, it's never going to be like my job as like the wife and mother to mm-hmm. like make money. Um, my dad is an entrepreneur. He's a lawyer and he owns his own business. And uh, so I saw a lot of, there was a lot of like talk and of strategy, strategizing about Mm -hmm. money in my family. I'm the oldest child. So, you know, I think like watching my dad be an entrepreneur uh, has had a huge effect on me. And both of our businesses are client-based, you know? So there's Mm -hmm. many things that are very similar. And then honestly, like, I think, even from a pretty young age, I was like obsessed with independence. Uh, and I, and I just, you know, I think it's common sense, but it must not totally be that like, if you're going to be independent, you need money. Yeah. So, I mean, I started saving like my stupid, like, you know, $10 a month allowance when I was like five. That's amazing. You know, (laughs) and I had like a little jar and I remember like, again, I know I already said it, but like, I couldn't have been more of a square in high school, (laughs) but you know, my friends would be like, let's go to a movie. And I would be like, I don't have money, (laughs) (laughs) but I did, Mm -hmm. you know, but, but it wasn't for that. It was like, I need it for college. Yeah. So was that encouraged by your parents or was this more of just on your own? It was definitely encouraged by my parents, but Great. but I but my siblings have not really been the same as me, so mm. I don't know. I think I think I kind of had a gut instinct that like I might have to like I might have to like support myself like pretty early mm. in my life, um, and I think I just I just wanted to have options. Yeah, I mean that's fantastic to start that young. Um, you started developing habits that I'm sure have paid off and we'll talk about how that's paid off in a little bit, but wow, that's really interesting. So um, you, it's funny, I ask these questions and usually a few of the questions get answered and it's great. So um, next question is, have you spoken or worked with a professional financial advisor of any kind? I haven't. Yeah, I'm not. So you just... So as of yet, have just done everything on your own for the most part. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there are things that I'm doing wrong. Oh, no, no, no. So, I mean, a lo- actually, it's almost 100% of people I ask, the answer is no. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, are you more of a saver or a spender? I think I know the answer to this. Um, I love saving money. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm a saver too. So my mom grew up poor. So she taught me how to save. Um, you know, there's definitely a spectrum and you can be extreme, but I like to hear when people say they like to save. <laughs> I did buy a house though. I mean, 
and I, I live in a nice house, but, but one of the reasons that I started saving young is because, so maybe another thing, my parents built a house when I was 10 years old. So you and, saw that. Yeah. And uh, I remember thinking like, this is dream. Building Interesting. So that's one of my questions, which you kind of answered when you talked about, you know, kind of seeing your dad having an entrepreneurial lifestyle. One of my questions is, do you remember a specific financial event occurring during your childhood? And that sounds like a big one for you. And it's translated into your life now. Totally. Wow. So let's talk about your house. So a lot of musicians, I, I have a survey and the majority of them do not own property and there is no right or wrong in terms of owning property or not, but it can be a great investment. And, you know, I have this condo and I have a whole story about getting it and it's a nightmare. And I talk about that a lot, but you have a house and you bought your house. So tell us about that. Well, so I quite literally, I started saving for a house, like when I was 18 years old. Like, I I mean, it it was something that I was thinking about. I got into school um, and I was like, well, I need to pay my tuition and then I want to buy a house. (laughs) Wow. You had goals. That was what I was thinking about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a couple of lucky things happen that that I think maybe have when I look back, um, but you know, my first, so I'm, I'm like going back a little bit, but my, okay. my first semester at North Texas, I had to pay out of state tuition and it was like 10 grand. Mm-hmm. And I had, I had saved $10,000 the year that I was at BYU. And again, like people talk about how hard it is to make money, but I was not, I was 18. And I worked at the call center. Like I called alumni and asked them to make donations for scholarships and things. Uh, it's not like it was a fancy job. I was making like I was making minimum wage, mm-hmm. but I saved I saved like ten thousand dollars that year. That's um, awesome. Yeah, I mean, but I guess the thing that I had was I had a full ride scholarship, so I didn't have to pay rent. I had mm-hmm. no bills. I had no bills, so I saved every dollar that I made. Mm -hmm. I had saved a bit in high school. So I had $10,000, and I was like, well, I need to figure out how to get, you know, in-state tuition, and I need to get scholarships. And actually, this is just, this is so specific to my experience, but I'm saying it anyway. North Texas doesn't allow transfer students to apply for, like, academic scholarships. Really? Not at all. So I had, you know... I had like a 4.0 and like great ACT scores, but when you apply from out from out of state as a transfer student to Texas public schools, at least in 2007, mm-hmm. uh, you can't even apply for scholarships. So I didn't have any scholarships, um, but I had $10,000. So I paid, I gave it all for tuition that first semester. And then wow. I was like, I've got to find a way to stay like ahead of this and to get my tuition less. Mm-hmm. Well, I figured out how to get in-state tuition, um, but, you know, it's going to take a full year. And then I worked a ton. I worked at Bath and Body Works uh, at the, at, what is it, what is it called? The Denton oh, Triangle. Yep. <laughs> Golden Triangle. Uh, is that place still around? I don't I know. I hope not. <laughs> but I worked at the Bath and Body Works at the Golden Triangle Mall. Anyway, I was able to pay for my second semester of college, but it was like rough. Uh, like I had no money. 
I was so mm -hmm. bored. It was really stressful. And then a really cool thing happened that I feel like, I don't know if there's a such thing as karma, it's this. But uh, I had gotten straight A's that year. And uh, I got this check in the mail from North Texas for $10,000. Really? And it just said, you got perfect grades your first year here, and we're refunding the out-of-state tuition that you paid. Wow. And you had um, no idea. Is that a thing, or is that just... I had no idea. I've never heard of it happening to anyone else. Wow. I know. Isn't that insane? So then I was like, this is a gift. And yeah. I will not, like, as God is my witness, I will not spend this money. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I put it in my savings account, and I was like, I am never touching this money. <laughs> um, and so I kept working, and I, I got in-state tuition, and then I got some scholarships. And so my tuition per semester went down to, like, you know, three grand a semester or something like that, which, mm -hmm. I, which I could totally pay and mm -hmm. pay my rent and, like, cover my bills. I did not go see Stevie Wonder when he came. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't spend money on anything. Yeah, you made those sacrifices. Yeah, so I mean, they were sacrifices. So you know, sometimes I hear, sometimes I hear musicians talk about not having any money, and I just think, you know, we have the same ability to earn. We have the same expenses, but you know, there there are like sacrifices that you can make or not. And I think, you know, lots of times when professional artists and musicians don't own property, but they own like a ton of equipment. Mm -hmm. I think like that's just a choice. And there's not like a, there's not like a, but I do think we all should like kind of be honest about the fact that it's like, it is a choice. Yeah. Anyway, so all this to say, I finished my bachelor's degree and I still had $10,000. Um, and then when I was starting grad school, I, I was just like convinced that uh, I, could, I could get grad school paid for. I was like, there's gotta be a way. I have really good grades. I'm sure I can make it happen. And I asked, like, I was in the scholarship office like every day for like, you know, and I really was there every day because I worked as an Eagle ambassador and I was in the building. And I would really just pop up there like every day and be like, have you thought of any scholarships yet? Like, how do I get grad school paid for? <laughs> um, and I'm not, I'm like, I'm not kidding you. Like I was doing this for like six months. And then finally someone was like, oh, you know what? Maybe there is one thing. A jazz studies major has never gotten it before, but there's this, there's this one scholarship that's like a school-wide thing for grad students. Um, that you can like get grad school paid for. It was like, it was like a fellowship, but it wasn't yeah. like a normal one. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, I'll do that. So I went and talked to John Murphy and I was like, hey, there's this thing, no jazz studies majors have had it before. All I need you to do is nominate me for it. And he was like, well, I've never heard of this, but okay, I'll sign this paper. Wow. And then no one applied for it. So I got it. You know, I was no, like, oh my goodness. I, I, I think there's been one other person since me who's had it because now John Murphy knows about it. Wow. Um, so I didn't pay a penny for grad school and they paid me $15,000 a year. Um, wow. So I had 
$40,000 saved the day that I graduated from college. And um, I spent $10,000 of that on my album. So when I moved to Utah, I had 30 grand. Mm -hmm. And I, I just kind of had that same mentality, like I'm not touching this. Yeah. I'm gonna find a way to not touch it. And then, you know, it, it grew. <laughs> so, um, so when I, when Andrew finished his PhD, uh, we had $200,000 in the bank. That's fantastic. And, you know, I, nothing magic is happening. I'm just working as a professional musician, mm -hmm. not spending a lot of money. You're making choices. So I moved here when I was 24. And in four years, um, I saved, Andrew was making about $1,000 a month um with like a stipend and he mm -hmm. also didn't have to pay for grad school he also got like a great scholarship awesome um so you know he was paying our rent which was like nine hundred dollars a month so we pocketed a hundred dollars a month thanks to andrew um and uh so in four years i went from having thirty thousand dollars in the bank to two hundred thousand dollars um and then we we put like almost all of that money as a down payment on our house. Wow. So, so I did not save that money. I spent that money. Well, it's in the walls of your house. So really, you know, yeah. it's, in, it's yeah. in the form of equity. You're it's that's, that's savings. Right. Yeah. And also, you know, it was good timing. Like the place we live is like, a, you know, the property rates are going up like all the time, but it's Utah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, yeah, but that's the story of getting my house. Wow. So the moral I'm hearing is like you had a you had goals. You had you had your future in your mind and you were open to whatever happening to allow that and it happened like a thousandfold. And here you are. And and you also made choices you I I like to say when I talk about retirement specifically, but in general make short-term sacrifices for long-term gain. And here you are in in that long-term, like, you know, eight, 10 years ago, long-term was now in the present. And here you are enjoying reaping those benefits, right? Yeah. That's an amazing story. So did you have a number in mind or was it more broad? Like, I just need, I just need to be saving and I don't want to touch that money. Yeah, it I mean, I wanted to make a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Like, you know, when I, I was like 30, you know, when I had that $10,000 in my bank account, I was like, this feels good. Mm -hmm. And then when it was, when it was 30, I was like, this feels great. Um, and then, you know, and then it's like, well, maybe I can get to 50. And then it's like, well, maybe I can make it to a hundred. Uh, and then it was like, well, geez, I mean, I, it's a hundred and it's been two years. So mm -hmm we can, I can probably get that up to two. Sky's the limit. I mean, wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. So this is a conversation I wasn't necessarily expecting to have, but I can relate because, so this is something that if you're listening and you, you're hearing these numbers and you're like, this is, I can't even fathom that. Like, I don't even know what that would feel like what would I do with that money? And maybe you're like, I would go buy all these instruments with it. Or, you know, you, you have all these thoughts that probably rush through your mind when you hear about these numbers and what would I do with that money? So from 
this is something that's super important. And one of the things that I talk about is, you know, whether you get a financial windfall, which is like just a bunch of money at once, or you earn that money over time, if you don't know what to do with it, if you don't have the financial literacy, the knowledge, or mentors, or someone to help you, you don't know what to do with it, then this happens to lottery winners and like wealthy NFL players. They go bankrupt, or they end up worse off than before. So a lot of lottery winners are better off not ever winning the lottery. So this is an example I want to ask you, because I've had this happen where I have a good amount of money and there is so much responsibility that comes with that because like we talked about the choices what do you do with it what am, well should i put some of it here should i spend some of it i don't want to spend any of it i mean there's so many things that happen and some of you listening might have never even experienced this and it will happen and it's a strange experience so can you talk to us about um maybe at each level you know or maybe it's the same feeling with no matter the number, but can you talk about your experience with that, like that responsibility? Yeah, I mean, I think I just, it's not a glamorous answer, but I just, I have been operating out of fear. (laughs) I just don't know if I'll ever, like, like when I got that $10,000 check from North Texas, I was like, I, I cannot make this money back, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and I just, I, I had, I think I had like maybe a couple of days before, like something was wrong with my car. And I was like, oh no, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I, I barely am like making it work. Um, And I just thought like, no, I was going to make it work. I would have been able to make it work. I'm still going to make it work and I'm not going to spend this money. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think just kind of always think, I think just thinking about how like fragile your own ability to earn can be or just how fragile the economy can be Mm -hmm. you know I think just kind of thinking like oh this is so stupid but like when I was saving my allowance as a little child I had um I had I had a collection of porcelain dolls um and they were Disney figurines and you could only you could only get them at this one store at Disneyland Mm-hmm. this is the, this is also this is um this is so much like just privilege but <laughs> i had these i had these little figurines that i would buy and my my first one that i got my aunt heather gave it to me um and i was like this is the most beautiful thing i've ever seen and i it was a cinderella and i was like i probably would love a bell you know or whatever and they were like you know they were like ten dollars a piece or something like that And so, you know, my family would go to Disneyland like every several years, Mm -hmm. which again, so much privilege. (laughs) Um, Like Arizona is six hours away from Disneyland. So, you know, there aren't aren't, like travel expenses, but uh, Mm -hmm. still. Anyway, so when I was like, like a little kid, like seven, you know, there would be something that I wanted to buy, you know, something small. And I would think, I'd have to think like, do I want to buy this or do I want to save this so I can buy two figurines? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, by the time we would get to Disneyland every five years or whatever, I would be like, 
do I want these figurines or do I want to do I want to wait until next time and maybe they'll have Ursula <sighs> do you know what I mean yeah so I think that like kind of delayed gratification was something mm-hmm. I learned as a small child mm-hmm. like, I could have this now or maybe there will be something else I don't even know what it is yeah. but it might be something else that I when I get to that moment, I'll be like, I didn't want those Happy Meals. I want this Maleficent doll. Yeah. You know, and then again, like by the time, like eventually, you know, we had a Disneyland trip where I was like, I don't want any figurines. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to go to college. Right. So I think I still think that things like that will happen. Like I still mm-hmm. think that same way. Like every time there's something that I want to buy, I think like, there might be something else I'd rather buy. Yeah. I'm not sure what it will be. But, you know, when we had an opportunity to, like, put money down on house, I was like, nope, this is the thing. Yeah. So it was obvious to you at that point. I mean, I had wanted a house since I was 10, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think the experience for me is just, I always just think, like, do I want this? Mm-hmm. And even, you know, like one thing that I sometimes feel guilty about, like I, I kind of alluded to it, like I don't go see big concerts. Mm-hmm. And I'll think about it and I'll think like, you know, there's probably only so many more years in my life that I can see this person. Yeah. But then I think like, am I really going to see them at this concert? <laughs> like, is it really worth it to me to spend $300 to like look at the back of someone's head? Yeah. and kind of hear it and maybe sort of hear it poorly or can i watch youtube videos <laughs> yeah we're see we're spoiled now so uh, right and i maybe would have made a different decision you know but like i i will go and watch jazz in like tiny rooms mm-hmm. where i'm really gonna see like something happening mm-hmm. like i i i i never have been to a like a stadium concert I don't think I have either. I think I went to one and just because some friends invited me and it was Wu-Tang Clan. It was awesome. But yeah, (laughs) but I I haven't been to like those big ones, though. It was one of those like amphitheaters. I think we're very much alike in that mindset because I didn't go to concerts either. And I'm very much in the same. I think it's the savers, the saver part of us. It's interesting to hear your delayed gratification is like you delayed it all the way to like one of the biggest things people do is buying a home um and that's really awesome so now what though so what what's the what's the delayed gratification do you have any other goals or maybe with like I want to pay off my house you want to pay it off yeah i mean and i know i know people talk about how like maybe that's not the best decision to make but any money that i see in my bank account i feel like it's not really mine Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a goal like i'd like to pay off my house um and then you know like i'm recording an album yeah costs money yeah definitely that's really really interesting and thank you for sharing that's awesome i'm sure people listening are just like what wow this is amazing and i'm hearing it and i'm like this is fantastic i i love hearing stories like this I can't emphasize enough how much nothing magical is happening though. Like that's the thing I want to tell people, like, you know, you're still Emily, right? 
And it's also just these small amounts of money. Like, mm-hmm. you know, my first job when I moved to Utah, I got a job at this conservatory in Park City. And I think they were paying me like $20 an hour. Um, you know, it's just, it's just these little bits. And then mm-hmm. I slowly, like, I started teaching like three days a week there. And then I, and it was, I, I purposefully like chose to work at a conservatory that was far enough away from where I lived that I could still try to start building a studio without like a non-compete. Oh yeah. Problem. Mm-hmm. You know, Cause I was, I was like 25 miles away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and no one from park city is going to drive to Salt Lake city, <laughs> city, you know? Uh, and so, you know, when I had enough students at, at my home that I could like go down to two days a week at the conservatory. And then I was charging, you know, like $45 an hour. But then there was, there was like a year in there and I don't do this anymore because it was like not good for my mental or physical health. But there was like, there was a time when I wasn't teaching at the conservatory anymore. I was just teaching at my house and I was teaching six hours, six days a week. Wow. And if you're teaching, and and by then I was charging 60 an hour. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're charging 60 an hour and teaching 36 hours a week, that's good money, but it's, Mm -hmm. but but it's not, it's not magic. You know, I, I still had to pay like out of pocket for health insurance and Mm. yeah, there's nothing glamorous about it. Like I still look to everyone. Like I'm just like in my one bedroom apartment teaching singing lessons. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just, it's just like, if I know, if I can make like this much in one hour, how many hours, you know, you know, Yeah. but I think a lot of people don't think about it like that. Yeah. That's so there's two things. And the first, like you said, it's little things. And I have this experience, like I will tell people, okay, my net worth is like, way higher than it used to be. The equity in this condo is way higher than it used to be. My income has increased so much more. But I'm not practicing saxophone eight hours a day. Like I'm not suddenly John Coltrane. I am I'm still me. So I I, I relate in, in the terms that there's this like underneath stuff that can be happening and you don't have to suddenly um, like win the lottery or do anything really crazy. It's small things, like you said. And I love that. And then the other thing you just mentioned um, about kind of looking at things quantitatively. Some A lot of people don't like math. I love math, but a lot of people don't. And so say it again. I love math too. There you go. And it's, it's not, we don't have to do calculus to figure these things out. So like you you mentioned you can reverse engineer the numbers. So if you want to make this much, like you said, there's only so many hours in the day or so many hours that you should or can, you know, teach lessons or whatever, play a gig. So say that number is 50 grand. Well, how many hours do you have to work towards that 50 grand? And like you said, you were doing 16 hours. So you just do the, it's, it's addition, subtraction, maybe some dividing and multiplying. I think that's really important. And I think you said it in um, when we were talking in the pre-show about 
you recommended that you can just take the simple numbers and project what you could be making to in order to achieve your financial goals. So you said to take, you know, what would you make if your studio was totally full? You had a certain number of gigs per month, and if you were hired as a sideman a certain times per year, and then you can do all of that math and see what's possible, and then see if that aligns with your goals, and then you can adjust from there. Um, I really think that's important. So how did you, did this form just naturally over time, or did you really like write it out and, you know, I want to be making this, Am I, is this possible? What do I need to do as you transition into higher income? I'm always, I'm, I'm always like have a calculator and like a table. I never am not doing that. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, you know, I, the thing that's tricky for me is like when I don't have any numbers, like, like, so I, you know, one of my goals is to like figure out how to have my, this new album that I'm working on, like pay, pay itself back. Like, so that, that's a small goal, but like, it's also a giant goal. Um, but I, I really don't know enough to know like how that will happen. Mm -hmm. So that's tricky for me. Like, it's so easy to go like, well, I know what I can charge for lessons. You know, like, that's just, you know, that, you know, yeah. you, no one has to like, you don't need like a lot of data. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one reason why like teaching is something that like I spent a lot of time on, you know, when I was trying to just like, like I need to build income. Uh, it's, it's more predictable than gigs. It's more uh, stable than gigs. You know, I, I picked that because it was the most stable way that I knew how to make money reliably. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I mean, I always have numbers and when I don't have numbers, I get stressed out. Like I'm a little bit stressed out about like, you know, this this new goal that I have because it's it's just, I just, there's so much unknown. So mm -hmm. I'll, keep, I'll keep you posted. Yeah. Hit me up in like two more years. <laughs> See where you're at. <laughs> How I did. Um, but I wanted to say one other thing, which is I, I think it's another maybe part of this that we don't talk about as enough as musicians that I would love to see more conversation about, which is there's, so there's, you were saying, you know, like I'm still Spencer, I'm still Emily. Um, you know, there's financial success and then there's like the other kind of success, which is like, um, doing the sexy things mm. and they yeah. are not the same things. Mm -hmm. They're not, you know, like I live in Utah, which is the lamest place in the whole <laughs> world to live. There is not a lamer place like anywhere. It's here. This is it. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in the lamest place. And not only am I in Utah, but I'm not even in Salt Lake City. I'm in Lehigh. You know, I live in like the suburbs of Utah. Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's just, there's nowhere less sexy. But if I was living in New York, I could be making the same amount of money per month, and I wouldn't have, I would have nothing left. Um, you know, if I, I, I could maybe be. I don't know. I'm trying to think of something that's like we we can all hate on Utah together, like no one's <laughs> like I'm trying to think of something like more artistic that I could be doing that like you know 
I feel like there are like the things you could do career like more musical wise mm-hmm. that maybe would make that would make less money for me but that would be give me a lot more street cred mm-hmm. uh and i and i wish that we were more kind of honest about that uh because there are, you know and i know there are plenty of us that are like doing stuff that's not the sexiest stuff we're not like on tour you know mm-hmm. opening for whoever mm-hmm. whatever but we have health insurance and mm-hmm. we have we own property yeah um and then there are people who are like really making it but who are broke um and i don't know i just i don't know if i have like an exact point other than you can't like choose one and then like feel kind of like it's unfair that you don't have the other thing mm-hmm. yeah it's a huge point and i mean the question i would have asked before you said that you it would be do you think the music industry is perception based right so especially with the internet i mean you can post a cool picture at your gig um and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that but i would love to uncover and talk about like you said let's be honest about what's really going on like because i've been in those situations where i was playing something that i thought was really cool and but i didn't tell anybody how much it paid or how long i was in the car and how my body hurts from that and how stressful it was and how I was wrecked for a day after it or, you know, just things that we don't, you know, I'm not sharing that online or telling people. So um, I think that's a really important point to make. Um, And I think that going back to what you said before, these are choices So there is no right or wrong. You have the choice if you want to live in New York. And, you know, I've talked to people who are doing well in New York, at least to a certain degree, and they'll be on this podcast at some point. Um, So there's nothing, uh, nothing wrong with that. But if that's your choice, right, that's great. But I like what you said. I wish we could be more honest. So hopefully this is a platform for people to do that. And I'm really thankful for you sharing your you know underlying things that are happening beyond the perception of what people probably see um oh, people yeah. see that my husband pays for everything really that's, uh, that's the thing that i'm hit with that like weekly wow if not, no more yeah um but yeah i mean and it's not like I'm, it's not like I'm trying to speak from a place of like, oh, I understand all of it. Like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff like eats at me, mm-hmm. you know, like I hate it, you know, and, and like just recently, uh, I hired, um, someone to do a thing. I'm trying to be like a uh, big enough. Sure. And the person has told me before that they like drive Uber, Uber, cause they like can't, they, you know, they're not making any money. Mm-hmm. which is fine mm-hmm. uh but i heard so many people talking after the thing and just being like oh man like he's really making it and like parents saying to kids like if you could just do that and i'm just like 
but no, you don't know anything, you yeah. know? And I want to be like, no, no, but I'm making it in the way that you think you're talking about. Right. And this person is not making it in the way you think you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But in another way, he is definitely making it. Yeah. And in another way, I am sucking at this whole business. And it's wow. It's just like, oh, I wish I could like wear a sign, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and attach that with the stigma of people talking about money. So it's not like, you know, you want to wear a sign. It's like, here's my net worth. And like, you can't that's like we don't do that right you know um wow there's a lot to unpack with that because um when things like that happen i've had family members friends colleagues say things um someone said once that i'll never forget they said it was almost like a it was it was like they were excusing me for kind of my life and career and they were they were saying you know in the music business or industry you know there's that there's a very small percentage of people who like make it and what their idea is probably like playing the super bowl or something like that and you know they said oh it's kind of like it's kind of like the nfl you know there's a ton of football players in high school college and you know and a tiny fraction make it to the nfl and um I'll just never forget that. And it's very similar to what you're saying. And it's, there's so much attached to that. I mean, be, especially for musicians who attach um, their musicianship to their self-worth. So we're talking mental health stuff at this point. And so when you hear something like that, it's like you have to almost just go back in time and hopefully not have heard that because, wow, that that's so difficult to go up against because there's not much you can say especially because like from a money standpoint and the stigma against that and then the mental health aspect and a bunch of other stuff that's really difficult so do you what do you do in those situations i go to therapy yeah well there you go here we go let's go into that if so i see a counselor every two weeks and i've gone on and off um throughout the years i i used to go just because i had traumatic experience health my father had a lot of health problems and things like that. And I went for that and then other things would happen and I would go. So it'd kind of be like situational. And now I just go every two weeks. And thankfully with um, the insurance I have, it's $5. It's like the cheapest thing out of everything in my life. And it's one of the most important things. And so I highly recommend it. And it, you know, there's a stigma against that. Um, and man, it's like, even if you don't think you have problems, like we've all dealt with things. And um, I don't know if I'm going to put Miranda's episode before or after this one, but she talks about shame, fear, trauma, all this stuff. And so if you haven't, if that episode's out, go listen to that. But um, we're all dealing with our childhood, our past, our present. I mean, we're dealing with so much. Um, and mental health among musicians is incredibly important. Do you want to talk a little bit about your experience with that and your thoughts on mental health and seeing counselors and things like that? Definitely. I mean, it's just complicated. It's so layered. Like I said, I, Mm -hmm. you know, I think in some ways I, it's good for my mental health. Like I don't think I would be healthy in New York, you know, like, it's like the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, you know, 
just if I'm being honest with myself, I would send myself to an early grave there. I tend to be a workaholic. I think in some ways it's good. It's good for me to live in a place where it's like socially unacceptable to work all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think, I think in some ways that I, I need that. Uh, I think I probably could find a happy medium. Like I think I could be in like Seattle or something, Mm -hmm. but, um, Mm -hmm. but uh, I don't know. I mean, so I, I, it's nice to have someone validate that and be like, it's okay for you to like, you know, prioritize the things that like actually work. But then, you know, there's so much just like, you know, I'm sure Miranda talked about Brene Brown, uh, Mm, all worthy of love and belonging. And, Mm -hmm. and I think they're so fragile as artists. What we do is so vulnerable. You know, I can look at my bank account and be like, this is proof of something. But then if I put out music that I wrote, that means a lot to me and no one clicks on it, then I'm like, this is also proof of something. Mm, Yeah. So it's just, I don't know, but yeah, I go to therapy, you know, I do, I, my therapy issues are like, there's, I have a lot of shame issues around just like being a musician in the first place. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of shame around being a woman who's 30 and doesn't have kids. Uh, I feel ashamed, like when I got engaged at North Texas in my master's degree, I felt really ashamed about that. Um, I I felt like and who knows, like, it's possible some of this is true. It's possible that I made it up. Um, I had a feeling that, like, my professors had decided that, like, I would fail them and that I would just, like, get married and... Like, you know, disappear? From... Work. Wow. Uh, you know, but then at the same time, like, my family and kind of, like, you know, my, my non-music community uh, is, like well, maybe you'll work, you know, <laughs> that's like the thing bad. There's no winning, you know, it's just, it's mm-hmm. so complicated. It's so yeah. fraught. Um, so yeah, it's a constant, like, sometimes I'm like, I'm okay. And sometimes I'm like, oh no, the crippling self-doubt and dread. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I try really hard to like wave a red flag in front of myself. If I, if I start thinking too much about like validation. Yeah. It's just, it's a, even if you get it, you know, you don't get it. Like those things that you think, like if only this person listened to my thing, or if only I got this many YouTube plays, Mm -hmm. it it wouldn't, it's not. It's fleeting, right? Just going to be a new number. Yeah. You're going to have that feeling like maybe no one actually loves me. Mm. Um, maybe no one actually would notice if I wasn't around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, so I feel like I, I try to keep my eyes on like that problem. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. why do I feel like that instead of like trying to go after like whatever the thing is? And it, and it, it really could be either. It could mm-hmm. be like if I have this much money or if I can prove this or that thing you know, if I can prove that I have this or that financial success, it will finally mean something. I will have like validated my right to say like, I'm a musician, mm. you know, yeah. I don't know, uh, but it doesn't, you know, like, I, cause I really thought we've lived here two years now. I really thought, you know, when I, when we moved in here that I would 
I would have a lot of friends from college that would be like, oh my gosh, Emily, out in Utah, you're doing a thing. But no, nobody did, you know, and I, and, and who knows, probably because no one is thinking about me, they're thinking about themselves. Um, but it also, <laughs> yeah. it also could be that they think, well, her husband has a PhD in engineering. I wish that people would think, wait, he just got a PhD though. Mm. <laughs> but in fact, we put money down on the house before he graduated. Yeah. And, you know, but I thought that that would you know, I thought that it would maybe mean something to my professors, to some of my peers. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, you know? And then it's like, we can keep chasing those things, whether they're like the Instagram things or the bank account things or whatever they are, that problem doesn't go away. Yeah. Of just like, do you think you're enough? You know? Yeah. We don't, I'm working on it. <laughs> that's good to hear that that you are working on it and i encourage all musicians you know that can be a tough thing for people who've never gone they don't even know what it's like there's a stigma against that um so maybe just even just us talking about it might encourage someone to try it um i love it and it's so there's no pressure it's a third party who just you just talk to it's so easy it's really easy I need it. Well, and I, you know, like my, my mom had brain cancer the last two years and right. I just, I started going to therapy right before she was diagnosed. Uh, Cause I was like, Oh man, I can't figure this out on my own. I've read all the Brene Brown books and I still feel like crap. Um, and, uh, and I, I needed it. It was like a lifeline. And even sometimes I'll go to therapy now and my therapist will be like, what's going on? And I'm like, nothing. I just think I, I need to vent. Mm-hmm. you know like she'll be like well what can I say or like how, what can I help you with and I'm like it's just I just need to be able to say things that uh I don't need anything I think I just needed to say yeah things. sometimes I need things sure I need to complain yeah man that's so awesome um thank you for sharing that um so I want to talk to you about a million other things um but let's save it for another interview, if you're willing. Um, so to wrap up, we talked about a lot, but if you could give our listeners one piece of advice, what would that be? I think my advice is like, try to have a goal, you know, like, and, and if your goal is to like, have a lot of followers on Instagram, I think that's fine. Just. Mm-hmm make that your goal. And if your goal is to have $5,000 in your bank account, make that your goal. Um, and try not to kind of like get pulled and caught between like these kind of conflicting things, just make a decision and just like work on that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we can't be everywhere. Yeah. You know, and if you want to do one thing and then switch your thing, fine. But just like, you know, I think if we try to like do everything at once, get overwhelmed and then maybe do less overall. Yeah. That's very good advice. So where can our listeners um, learn more about you, get in touch with you? Yeah. Um, I'm easy to find. My website is em, like Emily Merrill, emvocals.com. 
Um, I'm on the Facebook. I think it's Emily Merrill Music. I should know that. And on Instagram, <laughs> it's Emily Merrill Music. Uh, yeah, and then I have, I'll have an album coming out. There will be singles first and then an album sometime in 2019. Awesome. So I'll put all of those links in the show notes and in any resources and things that we talked about. I'll put all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for talking with me, Emily. I hope that this episode was helpful to you. And I hope you have a great day. Keep thriving. Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of financial and creative freedom? Check out the leading financial blog for musicians at spencerlist.com, where Spencer covers the latest trends and financial strategies. And by signing up for the Thriving Musician newsletter, you can earn exclusive member content and discounts. Get it all at www.spencerlist.com. If you would like to nominate a thriving musician for an interview on the podcast, request Spencer to speak at your school or event, or want to submit questions or comments, please send an email to spencer at spencerlist.com and keep thriving.